hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. So good morning and welcome everybody. And also particularly welcome to our very special guest. Uh, Fabulous to have you on the show, Will, or should I say Greens. Fabulous to have you here with us today. No, appreciated. Looking forward to it. Um, I've listened to a few. I've read the places you'll go. Um, what are in my What are in my my brains are in my head and my feet are in my shoes and I'm I love it. It's um, amazing the beautiful and wonderfully crafted words you find in books like Dr. Zeus um, with such simple messages and. Uh, uh, no one will give you simpler messages than an ex-rugby player. Well, uh, you know, the, you have many talents and uh, I'm sure you'll bring much more than that archetypal rugby persona through. But um, let, let me just uh, give everyone a bit of context. for Will Greenwood, MBE, a.k.a. Daggy, a.k.a. Greens, a.k.a. all sorts of nicknames. We'll get into that. Uh, and that's very befitting of somebody of the character of Greens. And, and Greens is a lovely guy and I know you're going to love him. Uh, he has reached the dizzy heights of the very top of elite sport. Of course, won the Rugby World Cup in 2003 with Sir Clive Woodward and Ben Kay, who we've had on the show, of course. Um, this is me, me a little bit getting to relive my sort of uh, my rugby past, um, but fantastic to have so many elite sports people on because I think you always get that, that interesting edge of what it takes to be perform at a world-class level. Going back, Green started as a, actually as a graduate trainee on the foreign exchange trading floor with HSBC. Uh, but turned professional and went on to play for England 55 times and twice for the British Lions. Um, but as with all of our guests, life hasn't been a bed of roses. And so we'll hear about the ups and downs as, as per the book. Uh, Green's had setbacks in his playing career and actually nearly died playing in 1997. was knocked unconscious uh, for 17 minutes and swallows his tongue. And Green's are going to have to tell the story of what happened when you awoke because that was an absolute belter. Um, and, and also, tragically, uh, Greens and his wife, Caroline, uh, lost their first son, Freddie, um, very soon after being uh, born in 2002. But Greens has incredible fortitude and his playing career, he's, he's achieved some amazing things, um, but also has turned that into success, both as a, uh, a media persona but all, and also commercially. Um, he's been working in TV for about 15 years. He's been a writer for The Telegraph for about 15 years. I know this morning he was on Talk Sport because there's been the line selection from about six o'clock this morning. And also other crazy things. So in 2018, Greens hiked to the North Pole in memory of Freddie, raising over three, uh, three quarters of a million pounds uh, for research into preventing premature death. Also just about to publish a new book called Boom, Best Out of Me, which I think actually perfectly captures Green's drive, but also his humility. So it is an absolute treasure and a treat to have you on the show. Uh, so welcome, and I'll pass to Richie to say hello and get going with the questions. Appreciate that. I'm trying to work out who you're describing. I'm looking around the room going, who's this guy? He sounds interesting. Let me bring that back down to words super fast. 
<laughs> well, that certainly is you, Greens, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on with us this morning. Um, look, let's kick off. I mean, clearly it's been a turbulent year and, and period for most. Um, tell us how it's been for you. Yeah, a quick scramble last March. Crikey, what's happening? Uh, how do I pivot? What do I do? Um, so in the last year, I've written a book, as, as Mark described. We had a slight um, title change. Uh, we loved Boom, the, the, my author and I. Uh, it switched to world class, how to learn, lead and grow like a champion. We focus on forging togetherness, celebrating difference and accelerating growth. Uh, so writing a book, which we're in sort of final edits now, it was due to be in the bookstores for, for the Lions Tour, for all my sort of Telegraph readers to, to pick up from WH Smith's at Heathrow for their 12-hour flight, 10-hour flight down to, to Joburg or Cape Town. But that's been delayed until September. So we're in the pursuit of better, constantly tweaking and editing and going back and changing some interviews that we've done. The, the concept of it was to explore those three key words that we think are in the heart of any great organisation, difference, togetherness and growth, and to get comment and ideas and quotes from titans of industry and legends of sports. So whether that might be Dana Strong, ex-CCO uh, ex, uh, Comcast, now CEO Sky, uh, whether that's Philip Jansen at BT, Alan Jope at Unilever, Carolyn McCall at ITV, switch over to um, Denise Lewis, Amarag Basie, uh michael johnson michael holding i mean we've something so extraordinary people we had the wonderful privilege of chatting to um to, to explore the themes of our book so that was one thing i got into richie i then onboarded in a new organization i've been shouting loudly from the outside from outside the ropes at an organization that used to be called satmap that is now called affinity which uh improves in its, in its most simplest terms, it improves all conversations you would have with your customer along all the touch points that you may have with your customer. So we, yeah, uh, we try to create sort of journeys of one for your customers, real segmentation. And so I onboarded with them. I've been a senior advisor for seven years and now I'm, I'm chief customer officer. And uh, we're looking to defend and, and consolidate some of the existing clients, uh, find new opportunities, roll out at new organisations. And uh, we've got a, had an incredible revenue spike um, over the past 12, 18 months, and we hope to continue that. Uh, and amongst that, uh, the usual stuff, three kids, um, lockdown, homeschooling, my, sort of my own personal Joe Wicks, I like him, but I sort of hope by now I know how to do an exercise class um, and yeah uh, enjoyed enjoyed the peace and quiet uh, I was in London last night for dinner and it was it was very strange I know I'll go back to loving it but there was a moment at about 9 30 thinking I just want to go home now and it's like I've been in lockdown for a year and a bit and I'm wanting to go home uh, that might just be me well, no, I, you know, it's well. I, I think it's not you, actually. Funny enough, because I think there's a lot of people as we come out who are sort of almost apprehensive. You know, they've gotten gotten used to a little bit of a way of of, of a hermit way of life, and it feels like uh, you know uh, you're not alone by you know, by all means. But uh, so, so you've had a fairly relaxed year, then I would say. Anyway, over to you, Mark. 
Well, um, I've, I've heard a couple of words used a lot, actually. One is that people have been depleted. And the other is now a, a languishing, which means they have kind of become accustomed to a certain way of being. And, you know, there's, there's a comfort zone to get back to what went before. But so, so Greens, you, I mean, you've, you've had to roll with the punches through the years. Um, and so, you, you know, you're resilient. You've got good coping mechanisms. What, but what do you think you've learned new through COVID about your resilience, your fortitude? Uh, I think it's just reinforced um, that there is no perfect. Uh, I think growing up was everything had to be right. I was brought up by two school teachers. Everything had to be homework on time and um, you can write the perfect essay, you can do the perfect maths exam or you can try to and you must chase that and you can play the perfect game. The feedback I got from my father was always hugely positive, but to the to the absolute minutiae of every touch I had on an international rugby field, plus neutral, minus, chase that perfect game, get a hundred, get eighty touches, all of them adding value. Um, and then as I've sort of slightly got older and looked behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz and realised not always what you see behind the facade or in this current climate, don't believe what you see. In the, in the little squares. Um, uh, so it's just allowed me to be a little kinder to myself uh, and understand just, I, I do, I really do try to, to finish each day slightly better than I started. Doesn't always work like that. Um, you don't have to win and lose every day, but um, can you laugh, think and cry every day? Um, you know, you sort of think about those emotions um, and the great Jimmy Volvano uh, said exactly those things. You know, if you if you if you can push your emotions to tears every day, you can whir those grey cells to be really thinking and then you can enjoy doing it. You're going to have a pretty full day. Um, so I, I tried humour, bad humour, dad humour plays a large role in, in my life. I'm never afraid of great gags like what do you call two Spanish firemen, um, Jose and Jose B, you know, that those sorts of gags always make me tickle. And then at the same time, I'm not afraid to cry at terms of endearment um, or be drawn to tears by, by a good film. Um, and then reading has been something that I think allows me to just keep exploring different perspectives on what may be perceived as the same problems, and I'm reading a really good book at the moment uh, called Think Again by um, Adam Grant and uh, the power of knowing what you don't know um, and understanding it's okay to be out of control and it's okay not to know everything um, and, and, and staying one page ahead uh, is all you really have to do. You don't need to know how the book finishes, just stay ahead. So. Uh, a long, perhaps drawn-out answer, but um, if we're out to sum it up, just to be slightly kinder and put my own oxygen mask on first. It's, uh, wow. it's, um, I, you remind me of the expression, be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Yeah. Two and a half thousand years old. And then, of course, it starts with yourself. So that's some lo lovely thoughts in there, Greens. Richie. You know, Grins, I uh, the thing that that I reflect on as as you as you talk about almost two dimensions. You know, in the in the one hand, super high performance, incremental gains each and every day, 
um, micro wins uh, make every touch count mentality. And then, of course, you know, you sort of moved into a world of slightly, I guess, slightly slower pace um, and more reflective and having an ability to, um, you know, really think about the kind of, you know, the, the, the things that you enjoy doing. Um, and, I, and I almost wonder if, if this is sort of symptomatic of the phases in your life that you're at. You know, phase one, you know, reaching for astronomical heights in your professional career. And then now, as you've, as sort of you've moved away from this, clearly still super ambitious, but in very, very different ways. And I guess the question that I have is if, if you've got people or if you've got reflecting back to your younger self, do you think that things that you could have taken from your now mentality that would have made you even better when you're in that high performance environment? Or do you need to be that sort of wired up and geared up in that in that high performance kind of way of thinking in order to be successful in that in that kind of you know high flying professional uh, sporting career? Yeah, so my greatest confidence. I mean, I think Alexander the Great surrounded himself with his companions, and Napoleon had his old guard. Um, Caesar and Praetorian guard. It's your old gnarly people who who are the speaker of truth, um, who don't pull punches, who who say what isn't being said um and they really listen to you but then feedback in the context of wanting you to be better as a friend but not wanting to pull punches and pull you up on things and we are my university friends are are, are those people for me not my ex-rugby players or my ex-work colleagues or to a great degree not my family it, it's it's that that close-knit group and it's funny you say that so we write things down we have lunches and complete confidence and one of the things they keep picking up on me is I keep promising not to to sweat the little things and I've changed a lot of, there's another whole heap of things that I have changed Richie which is to what you say there is a and yet some things are like letters in a stick of rock that when and sweating the little things is just sort of what I do, attention to detail, I find difficult to let go. And then I've actually realised that 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 is my USP in a way, the focus, the detail. Uh, I think the world and his dog is told that they need to um, be number one, be CEO, be captain. Actually, to lead, which I I totally get, but I, I think there should be a new verb to team i think i'm i think i'm just a bloody good teammate uh i'm just i think someone you would value having on your side i think i'm immensely loyal and and those are the sort of characteristics that i don't want to change but can i change how i articulate what i would like can i change how i make others feel can i change how I try to gently persuade people into my perspective. Am I really listening to what they're saying? So I think you're absolutely right that you can soften edges, I hope, and not become a caricature of yourself. But I think there are certain super strengths that you have that actually you should polish, you should amplify, you should amplify yourself. And I've worked out that, the detail and making teams feel better about themselves 
is is my strength. I am not a strategist. I don't necessarily enjoy being at 36,000 feet and looking 10 years, five years ahead. I'm trenches, I'm foot soldier. Give me strategy, I'll give you tactics. Um, and uh, if I can align myself, which I've tried to do down the years with people who can really see what's around the corner and have a vision of where we might go, um, I think I'm bloody good at plotting how to get there. I just don't know where we're going. It's a really interesting thought when you talk about attention to detail as sort of your Achilles heel, but your super strength. And I think it's true of many of us that we have a thing where we always feel that, oh, if I was a little bit more that, but actually we're already brilliant at it and it is a sort of hidden strength. You also talked about teaming. Um, many of people have said that you were the real unsung hero of 2003 and you made Johnny Wilkinson look good. Uh, don't need to go there or, you know, but, but uh, the point is you have reached the very top. You've won a Rugby World Cup. And in England, there's only 20 odd players who can say that they, they've achieved that. So let, let's go back. I mean, how, how did you get into rugby and where did that drive and determination come from? Uh, so uh, as a stickler for detail, and uh, by the way, I hope you'll take this in feedback in the context of better. I, I would say five years ago, I'd probably write that. There's actually 40 who've done it. Or 50 and the reason is because the women have won the rugby world cup as well and uh, uh the red roses are an extraordinary team and those are just the sort of things that we assume we see martin johnson and actually uh emily scarrett and maggie alfonsi have, have, have scaled their everest as well so extraordinary characters so i don't mean to pick that up in any other way just to go I'm a huge believer in women's rugby. We started a women's team at my local rugby club. Uh, I have a daughter who I'd love to be involved in sports. So um, that, it's it's apologies or uh, apologies, but not for sort of picking up on that and and, and championing our great Red Roses side. Um, back to the the question. Uh, can you remind me of the question? So, yeah, I mean, what what? How did you get started in rugby? Oh yes, my dad, mum and dad. Um, how did I get started in all of it? I, I, I didn't intend... To, there are those, and by the way, I know you mentioned Johnny Wilkinson. He had a poster on his wall at the age of seven. I'm going to be the best England rugby player. That, that He was like, this is what I'm going to do. And to understand the requirements in teams to have slightly different mindsets, then there's... And I'm sort of sat in the middle. If you look at that England midfield, and I'll get back to mum and dad in a sec. Johnny, I'm going to play for England and be the best player in the world. So Will Greenwood... In the middle, uh, I just want to turn up and be fun and see where it takes me. And then Mike Tyndall, who's like Brie on a hot day, he couldn't be more horizontal. Just what am I doing today? Where am I? What's going on? Um, and, and so bringing those different perspectives and actually having those different perspectives made us the midfield that we were. Now, Johnny could quite rightly, by the way, say I was the best player in the world. Neither me and Tins could really say that. But if you put us together as a three... I mean, Johnny's 46 now, is he? Tins is 47, I'm 48. We'd take anyone on now. It's like, you know, there's a pitch just the other side of this camera. There's a horse field. If Ma Nonu and Tan Omega turned up or um, Owen Farrell, me, Tins and Wilco, I mean, we might get beat, but we'd have a go. Uh, and that was the sort of mindset. So back to where I started well, with that mentality was I had parents who uh, 
we'd play every board game, every card game. We'd do every card game that was. We'd play every car game as well in the car. Um, we'd play every sport there was. I'd chase every ball. I'd run after it. Uh, we moved to Italy. I grew up in Italy. Um, I'd go to the supermarket and I'd with a talk called hashtag beat the game. I'd be having maths lessons as a four-year-old. It, one banana costs 26p. What does five bananas cost? But when you buy five bananas, you then get a 10% discount on the 26p that you get. What does five bananas cost? Mum, no, that's it. To think about it like this. So constantly everything. So perhaps this is where we think, where did it get his attention to detail from? Just a, a family competitive. I think people can mistake wanting to win all the time with being your best self. Um, just because when I play a game of cards, I wanna I wanna play the right cards in the right order. Does that make me someone who's annoying to play against who just wants to win all the time? No, it goes back to I just want to give of my best and if I get beaten by a better player, card player, Omar Sharif, well played. You're very good at bridge. I'm not so good, but I'm gonna try and play my best version of a bridge. So that's sort of where I started. Um and we'd go to summer camps. Uh, we'd go to Grandad's caravan in the Lake District. We'd go down to Uncle Ian's and Auntie Norma's place on the Costa del Rose, Rose on Sea. We didn't really do foreign holidays. Having said, I grew up in Italy for the first five years. So um, I was just brought up in a little Lancastrian village where second school finished. I was out on the football pitch. I was out on the cricket pitch. I was running around with my mates. Um, and... When I went to university, I was in the fourth team, I was in the third team, under 16s, I was in the Cs. Uh, when I first went to Preston Grasshoppers, I started in the fourth team. That, I just kept, like Donkey from Shrek, I just kept turning up and finding ways to win. Um, and I sort of came across a phrase, I can never quite remember who said it, but um, it could have sort of been written for me. And I hope this doesn't sound overly arrogant but the, the the strong take from the weak but the smart take from the strong now i'm not necessarily going i'm so smart blah 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 what i'm saying is in my mind i had to find a different way to win because i was probably i was certainly the weediest person on the pitch on the world cup final night of november the 22nd 2003 i was certainly one without a shadow of a doubt the slowest back on the field on november the 22nd 2003 um, and so, and yet you'd think, oh, how did you ever take the field thinking like that? Because I knew there were different ways to get from A to B. I knew there were different ways to win a game line. I knew there were different ways to shut down a fast attacking side. And if you go in with that mindset in any walk of life now where I'm at, I'm at an affinity or a great organisation called Affinity and we're trying to roll out at some organisations, Am I really listening to what what our customer wants? What is what is their strategy? What are their focuses? Right? Can I can I hit those notes? Uh, can we make sure we're delivering uh, on their tactics uh, and amplifying their tactics and accelerating their growth? Because our business model relies on their growth, and we only win if they win. So um, yeah, I, so I've sort of fallen into an organisation that sort of suits my mindset perfectly to understand we have very many different ways of fixing those problems but you really need to understand what the problem is it's a it's another game of chess 
Uh, and that's why I love the Queen's Gambit of all the box sets I've seen recently. Because yeah. uh, finishing on rugby, rugby is just a game of chess played by big moving parts. But there are kings and there are queens and there are bishops and there are pawns and there are knights and there are players that all do different things. And in your organisation and on the meetings I'm about to have later on with five of my team with a prospective client, I know I have four very different super strengths in the room on my side. And can we play them in at the right time to make sure when they hum it, we sing it? Do you know, Greens, what, what my reflection on what you've just said is that your life to me has been really epitomized by playing the game in your mind. It's, you know, from a very young age, it's been instilled this thought of, um, you know, turning everything into a, you know, some level of gamified sort of thing um, where it's constantly being stimulated with new ways in which to, to stimulate your own mental capacity and growth in that mindset to, to adopt that winning sort of feel and flavor. And, and as you say, right, you know, um, you would assume that when you're a rugby player on the field, the biggest would win. Uh, you'd assume the fastest would win. But actually, what you've just described is the ones who have it up here and are mentally the strongest are the ones that come out on top. Um, and I, I find that really fascinating. The, the thing that also sort of strikes me, and I'd love to, love to get your thoughts on this, is, you know, as you say, right, um, I just turned up is one of the phrases you used. And as part of that, there must have been a huge amount of disappointment and failure at pivotal moments in these and these different parts of that journey. And I'd love to hear how you were able to overcome that sort of, you know, sense of failure, given the fact that, you know, you've been super competitive. How do you deal with that? And just one final piece of context, we had a lovely uh, a double Olympian, Jack Green, um, on our show, and he talked a lot about mental health and being at the top of his game as an Olympian, and yet um, not being able to sort of, you know, feel um, you know, feel feel at his best, um, although being on the field um, in in London at the Olympics. So you know, just top athletes, mental health. Um, how would you deal with with failure, disappointment? Uh, so a couple of different ways I can describe it. I could go back to Grandma and Grandad Howarth from Ramsbottom, the archetypal Lancastrian grandparents, who would just said, "Crack on, um, dust yourself down, um, and and go again." and uh, I, I think that was instilled in me by uh, parents and background that uh, came from relatively modest um, surroundings, uh, never wanted to be anything other, never wanted to be oligarchs or billionaires, but just create a, a stable, steady, happy household uh, that, that went through their own turbulent times. And you watch how they react and it's sort of soles of your feet parenting and it's sort of, you watch uh, and you pick up and you learn and you understand and you even as a child you might not realize the size of the disappointment but you can sense disappointment and then you watch the reaction and never dwell on it uh and and as i said then just just cracked on um and i think that the phrase we came up with with england if we sort of fast forward to the, the elite sporting team that i was involved in was we sort of left it on the wave behind um and understood that you must understand why you've lost, uh, acknowledge why you've lost, but you mustn't grieve 
it. You, you must acknowledge it. Uh, find a way to be better next time. Find a way not to replicate the mistakes. Um, and uh, go about it with your best endeavours, looking yourself in the mirror and saying you're giving it the best crack. Uh, so um, perhaps two slightly different analogies, but hopefully same outcome in terms of um, failure isn't fatal. I totally acknowledge that if you're operating in the military, and I don't want to necessarily bring that out, that, that Actually, it can be in certain circumstances, but not in the world I was living in. Therefore, um, try not to take yourself too seriously. Understand you can get beaten by a better team. Understand you can have off days. It's okay to rain. There are seasons in the year for a reason. But um, but find a way to turn the corner and move on. And I, I look, I, the sport that I really admire for this is are the golfers. The ability to, I think Tiger used to give himself 15 seconds. If he missed a putt, he had 15 seconds where he could, in his own head, go absolutely ballistic in his own head, almost like a clock. And then his caddy, Steve Williams, would go, done. And then, bang, parking. Um, and the other one, I look, I've got three kids. Master Uguay from Kung Fu Panda is probably one of the wisest souls there is. And uh, I think his great line is... Uh, there is no good news. There is no bad news. There is just news. Um, and if you can begin to look at things in that context, um, I'm not trying to take the joy out of happy times, but it allows you to consider the inverse of that and, and the, the potential for a poor quarter, a poor performance to really impact you. Actually, that ability to understand it and park it uh, is is something that I think I'm quite good at, but not perfect. Um, Greens, you're very balanced about success versus failure. Uh, you 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 mentioned failure is uh, failure is not uh, fatal. I think there's a Churchill quote which says success is not final, failure is not fatal. It's having the courage to continue to to go on. But uh, very, very balanced philosophical point of view, which is which is amazing. Um, I'm, I'm going to take us in a different direction now. So you nearly died on the rugby field. Yeah. And um, but there's a funny story that goes at the end. So just just give us a bit of a context. The, was it about? Yeah. Um, so the Lions in '97. The Lions have just been announced yesterday. The squad with Warren Gatland, amazing tour to South Africa, and I was part of a successful tour 24 years ago where. Every time it seems the Lions go to South Africa, they are the current world champions. They won the World Cup in 95, 07 and 19. And the Lions go into 97, 09 and 21. Um, uh, I was a relatively obscure, unknown club player. hadn't played for international rugby. And Sir Ian McGeekin and Frank Cotton said, right, the cut of your jib, join us in South Africa on a tour. 36 players to met up with the very best, the cream Jerry Guskett, Scott Gibbs, Keith Woods, Martin Johnson, Lawrence Delalio, Tom Smith. I mean, the team was so, so special in 97. And uh, there's Donkey from Shrek jumping up and down at training, going, I'll have a go, I'll have a go, I'll have a go. Uh, and then just before the second test, uh, we played Orange Free State in what's known as sort of the unofficial fourth test. The ground was, uh, the high belt was as hard as playing on the M4. Got my sleeve 
trapped on my arm, pinned, whipped around in a sort of judo throw, and basically um, head made contact with floor first. And uh, clearly, I don't remember anything about it. But I've watched it not often. I've watched a couple of clips of it. And my feet sort of float to the floor and bounce. You know, you know the fellas out when the feet bounce on the floor. And you may have seen it in a boxing match when he hits the canvas. Um, and you're just a limp body. Um, and Dr. James Robson and the medical staff did everything um, appropriately. We're first on hand, Richard Krajcek, uh, uh, Mark Davis, the physios, and uh, but nothing, just no reaction, pupils, nothing, everything either dilated or undilated. I'm never quite sure the technical term, but there was nothing coming from the torch in the eyes um and then finally i sort of sit up and go back and, and out so they realize i'm in great danger anyway long story what's the point of the story in the old days you i wouldn't say it was ignoring concussion and ignoring head injuries but in the old days there was there was no psychoanalysis and there's no testing it was just you had three weeks off you were mandatory three-week ban if you're concussed so fools that we were were told never admit to concussion because you missed three weeks and you wanted to play you just wanted to play as kids especially on a line store so my old man said you know so i'm in the back of the ambulance going to an african um hospital in bloemfontein and still nothing and uh i sit bolt upright and it goes back to richie it goes back to thinking and it goes back to your brain's in your head. Something was going on in there, even though the physical part of me was on the edge. Something was still whirring in there and understanding concussion three weeks, still two weeks on this tour. Where so I sit bolt upright on the gurney and stare my dad in the face. The only room in the ambulance for dad, mum stayed at the, at the ground. Um, and he says he doesn't know whether to laugh or cry about it because he doesn't laugh. He wants to cry about it because he goes, "What did we do? What were we what were we telling you, or what were we, what were we suggesting that they could possibly have you thinking, avoid admitting concussion, and yet wanting to smile in with pride that somehow in amongst this turmoil and potential tragedy, you're still thinking with complete clarity because I sit bolt upright, stare him in the face, and go, Dad, Dad." Tell him it's my hamstring. Bang. Straight, sort of straight back out. Uh, no recollection of four days of my life. Um, other than even in a time of great trouble, I was still thinking, I might be able, I might be fit for Saturday if I don't tell him I'm knocked out. But that, clearly they know I'm knocked out because I've been stretching off and I'm in a hospital for three days. But still trying to pull the wool over their eyes. Wow. And, and uh, I mean, clearly some, some major lessons learned and, and actually reflections of your parents at that moment. Um, am I, for me, when I think about you as a dad, I mean, are there things that you would have taken away now? Um, and, and perhaps, you know, not that, you, not that your kids would ever be in that position, but it's, uh, you know, just simply sort of, sort of key things that maybe you would want them to learn or, or, or do. I've learned more from my kids than they've learned from me. I've certainly learned more from my daughter. My daughter has alternative provision at school. Uh, my daughter 
has mental health problems. I, I'm coming to terms with the right vocabulary and articulation of this. Uh, my, my grandparents would have said, don't tell anyone. My mum and dad still might be, why do we need to talk about this? Matilda's, you know, she's, she's fine. Um, but my wife is, if we don't speak about this, who will speak about this? There's a whole section of society that, that aren't represented, don't have a voice and, and struggle with employment and struggle with life. So uh, our daughter has autism and I've tried to, when she was younger, soles of the feet, parent in a Lancastrian, Victorian, Northern style homework time and, and just met with wide eyes and me and thinking that that might be naughty and she's avoiding and she's and slowly but surely learning that I've got to stop trying to bring my daughter into our world and I have to go into her world. Um, and so the context of kindness and being kind to yourself, but more importantly, I, I, I often get it, this phrase wrong, it's don't, don't treat people as you would like to be treated, treat people as, as they would like to be treated. Uh, and I think I've sort of, I hope I get the point across there. You have to find a way, if you're, if you, if you're teaching a child and they're not learning, find a different way to teach. Um, don't round peg, square hole. And so, um, yeah, the, the the lesson, the reality is, um, I would I would invert, I'd flip it on its head and say, uh, my children have. I'd like to think have made me a better person. My children have opened my eyes. My children have taught me, um, and. Certainly, with my daughter, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, and it goes back to celebrating difference. You do need in a team people who know all the rules, but you also need in a team people who don't care about the rules. Uh, and if you can blend that together, and you can have a whole host of different ways of talking about it. Old masters and young Turks, suit wearing with baseball caps. Um, perfect haircuts with tattoos you know you can sort of all think of strange combinations that you grew up with and thinking well that's not but actually just because it's old doesn't mean it's good just because it's new doesn't mean it's better yeah and and mashing those ideas up together and creating collision rich environments where everything is discussed in the pursuit of better in the pursuit of beating the game um, is something that I've completely learned from my children. Uh, Greens, it's brilliant you talk about your daughter's autism. Um, my daughter has dyslexia, there's a lot of neurodiversity in the family. I think that we are breaking the taboos around neurodiversity uh, and the challenges and the opportunities that, mm. that it brings. And we've got, got a good, really good question from Ali Buckle. He's always bring brilliant questions, which is a bit of a flip. Uh, what, what lessons can Lions rugby team, the Lions rugby team, learn from the business world in overcoming South African competitors? Uh, that's such a good question because I think there's this um, belief that actually uh, business world, let's get a sports person in, let's get them to talk about winning. I think it just depends where you are in the cycle because my belief is that Woodward brought in a load of business people who then gave us a load of ideas. We then won the World Cup. He's then recrafted those ideas into sporting principles. 
and sold them back to the businesses that he paid to come in. Um, so uh, fresh eyes. I mean, the, the thing we learned from a, a guy from Lloyd's Development Capital, a guy Humphrey Walters, um, about bringing in fresh eyes, different eyes, different perspectives. I think what where rugby teams can sometimes be is, is echo chambers. And if all you know is rugby, rugby is all you know. Actually, uh, I think across the different swimming lanes and verticals you have within organisations, really good businesses give everyone the opportunity to snap the picture into focus by bringing the different perspectives across from the different parts of the business to solve the same problem. Um, I think sports teams can sometimes assimilate to the biggest and the fastest um, and actually having open forums and discussive, discursive platforms uh, you know, coming to agreement and walking out of a changing room, walking out of a meeting room and going, this is the long-term plan, these are the tactics to deliver that, the tactics are flexible, the strategy, the long-term vision isn't, that's what we're going to do. I think these sorts of ideas and this sort of articulation and vocabulary that the business world gives can allow you to feel much more confident about what you're doing in a, in a sports environment. I, I think I've sort of got there with an answer. Um, but I think the reality is it's such a good question. I'm not sure who's teaching who. Uh, I, the, the reality is um, I think both can learn from each other. Uh, but from a business perspective, which is the question you'd have is, have you got complete coverage of the question? Have you, do you understand, are you looking at it with a very different lenses to make sure in a Venn diagram, you simply have a small understanding of the problem and one perspective of fixing it. And I think, I think the top businesses do that better than sports teams and sports teams can learn from that. You know, Greens, um, you talked about sport and elite sport being a little bit of an echo chamber in the context of, of rugby. It's it's quite, I guess, uh, ironic that, that most environments in which I've certainly seen can be accused of being that as well. And I think to that context, you know, everybody should have a little bit more of different perspectives, um, outside in thinking and getting different people to the party. And I think if we, we do that, I think then you know there's a lot of cross pollination of, of ideas which lead to innovation, creativity, and greatness. So totally, totally get where you're at with that. Um, I must admit um, we are out of time, which is ridiculous to say because it's just absolutely just flashed by. Um, perhaps let me uh, first of all say thank you so much for your time this morning. It has really been a privilege, it really has, and it's it's great to have met you and connected with you in this way. Um, if you if you would give me just a moment to maybe just uh, talk a little bit about some of the reflections I've had, uh, and then I'll pass over to Mark for some of his. Um, you know, you started off by by talking about this duality um, in you know from your time in elite sport being every moment counts, add value in everything you do, um, and then to a much softer side of of life where you talk about you know just the need to finish every day a little bit better than when you started it. And I love that. And I think I think all of us sort of sit along that spectrum in some sort of you know way and length and form. And, and we should all try and aspire um, to either which side of it, depending on where we are in life, which I thought was great. Um, you've coined a new term on the show, um, perhaps perhaps reflecting on it for a while, but it's not about to lead, it's about to team. 
and uh, you know the thought that you're the best team mate I think just sounds sounds fantastic and uh, and it's, it's really cool um, the other thing which I thought was really humble and admirable was when you talked about um, you know you knew your place you know your place in the world in the sense that you are an amazing person to to get things done you know the tactics give me the strategy and I'll nail it and by the way that's rare most people want to be in that position to develop the strategy and actually the fact that you've really understood where you sit in the overall scheme of things is something that that most people have not really figured out um, and I think it's it's a consequence of living within your own skin and being comfortable with your own skin as to where you are uh, no good news is bad news I love that um, Kung Fu Panda good reference um, the kindness aspect of things um, and the final thing I'll just talk about I'll just say is um, you know two types of people in life those who know the rules and care about them and those are the ones who don't care about the rules you need both in a team to be really successful and I've taken that away by the way um, and I'm going to try and think about how I implement that into my own my own world so greens look absolutely fabulous over to you Mark yeah, thanks, Rajiv. You caught me really well. I mean, it's been a very humbling experience for me to have you on. Uh, you, there's layers and layers to your reflection and insight, actually. Um, been very, very struck by that. Uh, we've heard about the good and the bad of attention to detail, to perfection, and finding the right balance and converting that into a strength. If we could all laugh, think, and cry every day, the world would be a better place. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use Brie on a hot date uh, for Tindall. I mean, that is such a good line. Um, it's making me chuckle even saying it out loud. The, the, the smart take from the strong. Um, it's okay to rain. There's a reason we have seasons. Uh, and and uh, you juxtaposed a few things. You talked about perfect haircut and tattoos. You know, I, I, I think you're somewhere between Uguay and Shrek. Um, but what a, lovely, what a lovely combo. And it's been an absolute thrill to have you on the show. Can't thank you enough on behalf of Richie, myself, and everybody tuning in. So thank you again. Uh, Richie will do a quick intro for next week, but enormous thank you. A real pleasure, chaps. Um, you know, I, I listen to the podcast. I've taken some stuff away. I keep meaning to join my local comedy club uh, after Peter um, and uh, those sorts of things. And uh, yeah, no, always a pleasure to be to to surround yourself with people who uh, have a learn it all, not a know it all mentality is the way to go. I love it. Thank you there, Greens. Um, just before everyone uh, tunes off for this week, just so you know, we've got Elini Santos on next week on the show, coming back at you next Friday at 8am as always. Elini, a fabulous guest as well. She's the Chief Diversity Officer at Unilever, has come up the ranks, international career. Uh, Unilever have just forged a, a, a massive um, movement called BRIM which is to get more black representation into marketing and the, and the industry. Um, so I'm sure she'll be able to, to talk a little bit more about that. But Unilever in itself is leading the way across neurodiversity, disability. Um, and Alini has actually been you know, a real champion in that area to, to forge Unilever into this the next era of things. So do tune in next Friday, 8 a.m. I'll see you then.